presented by the Vapor Technology Association. Hey, good morning. I'm Playbook co-author Rachel Bade. It's Monday, February 26th. Over the weekend, former President Donald Trump trounced Nikki Haley in her home state of South Carolina. But despite his 20-point lead, there are problems afoot for Trump. According to an AP poll, one in five Republican voters in that state said they will not back him in November, even if he's the nominee. That's going to be a problem for the former president in the general election. All eyes this week are turning toward Michigan, where the focus is not going to be so much Trump versus Nikki Haley. It's going to be on Joe Biden. The president won Michigan by about 150,000 votes in 2020, but there are about 200,000 Muslim and Arab American voters who are furious with Biden right now. There's the abandoned Biden campaign, which is encouraging people to vote for pretty much anyone but Joe Biden, and the vote noncommittal campaign, which is being in part championed by Rashida Tlaib. So keep an eye on Michigan, and we'll see if those results signal problems for the president in the Wolverine state. An active duty member of the U.S. Armed Forces set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy yesterday night. CNN has the exclusive on this and obtained the video of the incident. That man, Aaron Bushnell, said, I will no longer be complicit in genocide before he put his video on the ground, poured some sort of liquid all over himself, and then ignited it yelling, quote, free Palestine. I'm sure we'll hear more about this today. Stop us if you've heard this before, but a partial government shutdown looms Friday night when funding for the agriculture, energy, veteran affairs, and transportation departments run dry. Appropriators worked through the weekend around the clock, hoping to release the text of these four bills last night. And yet, here we are. It's Monday morning and still nada. Joining us now to discuss this is my colleague, Caitlin Emma. Hey there, Caitlin. Hey, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. So what happened? Well, it's uh, devolved into full-blown finger-pointing and fighting at this point, which is not great. It's not a great place to be in, (laughs) you know, five days before a partial government shutdown. I mean, as you mentioned, like late last week, congressional leaders had been hopeful that they would be able to unveil something today. And what that could have possibly looked like is a very small government funding package that would have taken care of, you know, just a very small slice of discretionary spending alongside what would likely be another continuing resolution to buy more time to negotiate the rest of these bills. Um, but since then, I mean, the situation has just really unraveled. Uh, both sides are pointing a lot of fingers, accusing each other of raising all these policy demands that continue to trip things up. So we're not in a great spot heading into, you know, the week before another government funding deadline. Oh, joy. Typical Congress. Um, So what are the sticking points right now? What are the Republicans demanding at this point? So, I mean, it all kind of stems back to how uh, House Republicans loaded up their appropriations bills last year with these, you know, super conservative policy riders that had absolutely no shot of ever passing the Democratic-controlled Senate or getting, you know, past the White House. So those fights are just still lingering. I mean, Speaker Mike Johnson is under so much pressure from his right flank to secure some kind of win across these bills. And again, the first four bills that are expected to expire on March 1st, I mean, these are usually considered some of the easier bills. Uh, and they're really anything but provisions that would ban mail order abortion pills. We're fighting over federal food assistance for women and children. We're fighting over, you know, earmarked funding for 
LGBT housing centers and the transportation bill. You know, there are just so many issues across all these bills that still have to be worked out. And we're just not anywhere near a resolution. I mean, of the first four bills that are set to expire on March 1st, really only one of them, according to some of the folks that I've spoken to, you know, is in pretty good shape. And that's the spending bill for the Department of Energy and Water Issues. And the rest of them still have a lot of policy pitfalls to work through. Interesting. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it does feel like Johnson doesn't have a lot of leverage at this point, given that his members are all over the place, undercutting him on tanking rules. How does that affect negotiating in terms of Republicans actually getting these wins? Right. I mean, you uh, hit the nail on the head. I mean, where, what leverage does he have to secure these incredibly um, difficult to attain policy wins? So I think that there is somewhat of a prevailing sense that, um, you know, we, we can push this one about as far as we can, um, you know, maybe to Tuesday or midweek for there to finally be some sort of deal to announce. Um, really, there is the sense that we can still eke this out, but as much time as Congress is allowed to do that, they're going to take it. You know what I mean? And since we're looking at just four bills expiring on Friday, um, you know, even if there were a, a brief shutdown, as bad as the optics are, uh, it wouldn't be very painful. Um, so both sides are just really trying to maximize the amount of time that's on the table and maximize any possible leverage that they may have or don't have. You mentioned a potential CR. Um, you know, I think you had reported over the weekend, uh, March 22nd is one date that's sort of been floated out there, kicking the can down the road a little bit, giving them more time. Johnson has really balked at CRs in the past. Do we know if the Republicans in the House are okay with a CR or is this more of a Senate idea? I mean, I think he doesn't have um, the luxury of not passing another CR, you know, and I mean that as you're you're right to say that his members hate this. And this is the fourth such stopgap that Congress will have to probably consider. But the rest of the spending bills that we're looking at with a March 8th deadline, the lift is so huge and there is no time um to finish up those negotiations. So they really almost certainly will need that extra time. And I think that there is a prevailing sense that April 30th is sort of the real deadline to get this done. So while certainly congressional leaders don't want to keep dragging this out and out and out, you know, there's a provision in last year's debt limit law that um, would trigger tens of billions of dollars of cuts come April 30th if any part of the government is still operating under a short-term CR. So there is time to keep punting. Nobody wants to keep punting, but I'm not sure he has a choice. You know, he'll probably have to work with Democrats once again to pass something like that to make sure that they have time. Yeah. Last question for you. Um, Now that April 30th, that being the sort of real deadline, a lot of Republicans do want something to pass by then because they want to protect defense funding, right? But there's this crop of conservatives who are like, oh, that's fine. Let's just cut everything. Is it right that those automatic cuts, they would impact, you know, across the board, not just Democratic priorities, but Republicans as well? Yeah. So the April 30th um, provision is, uh, again, it was part of the debt law that passed last summer and it would 
cut certainly more from defense, non-defense funding than it would defense funding, but the Pentagon would still see about a $10 billion um, hit. You know, it, that's a very small drop in the bucket compared to the Pentagon's overall budget, but it's still painful. Um, and then there's the other alternative of this, you know, this notion that Johnson has previously floated of a stopgap through the rest of the fiscal year. And unless congressional leaders do something to negate the budget caps that were included in that two-year debt limit deal last summer, um, the cuts to non-defense funding would be even bigger, um, while the Pentagon would remain largely flat. So both scenarios are not palatable. Like Both sides really want to be able to pass real funding bills for the current fiscal year, which we're already well into. But this is certainly one of the messier appropriation cycles I think I've seen in recent years. That's saying something for Congress. Uh, Caitlin, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rachel. And for the rest of your schedule today, the Senate is in, but I was told last night that we do not expect House Republicans to deliver the articles of impeachment for DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas until later this week. That's another thing that we should keep an eye on, of course. While lawmakers are trying to reach these spending deals, the Senate is going to have to deal with the Mayorkas impeachment at some point. The House, meanwhile, is out until Wednesday. And in the afternoon today, President Biden heads to New York, where he'll be participating in a campaign meeting. I'm Rachel Bade. Thanks for listening. A sponsored message from the Vapor Technology Association. President Biden, your administration is actively working against you. Robert Califf and Brian King are going rogue to force your hand on menthol cigarettes. And that's just the start. These unelected bureaucrats have been prioritizing politics over science, evident in their flavored vape ban. Letting the FDA dictate policy undermines your cancer moonshot goals. President Biden, it's time to take back control of your public health agenda.